So this is our fourth and final week as we're talking about um, outreach. And so I want you to listen to this scripture um, as we focus our hearts for the rest of this church service today. It comes from John 3, 3 through 7 and 16 through 17. It says, Jesus teaches Nicodemus. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Very, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And then I'm going to skip to verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So last week, we talked about a guy named Zacchaeus. And if you remember, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Uh, he wasn't liked very much. Uh, he was a very unlikely candidate to follow Jesus. And so we talked about how Jesus pursued him, even though he was not someone that, that people expected Jesus to pursue. He was very non-religious and not someone you would expect to follow him. So this week, I chose a man out of the scripture that was quite the opposite of Zacchaeus. In fact, in verse 3, it tells us that Nicodemus was a Pharisee who was a member of the Jewish council. So Nicodemus was the opposite of Zacchaeus because he was a very, very religious person. In fact, if people saw Jesus talking with Nicodemus, that would make sense to them. Nicodemus was a very religious person. It would make sense to them that he would talk with Jesus, not, not Zacchaeus. That was a very strange, strange rendezvous. So Pharisees, in many ways, were known in that culture as the best people in the country, uh, the cream of the crop, if you will. When people saw a Pharisee, they uh, had this feeling that they really uh, followed all the rules. They were very elite in fact, there were never more than 6,000 Pharisees. It was a closed group. They were a very close brotherhood. Um, they very much were, were known by the, by the community and by the country as a, a very elite crowd. And they entered into a brotherhood by taking a pledge in front of two or three witnesses that they would spend their whole lives observing every detail of the scribal law. So it wasn't a three or four year term like the presidency it was an entire life commitment that they thought about for a long time and then they said in front of others I will observe these laws to the detail to every single little bit for the rest of my life and so the scribes were people where they they wrote the laws sometimes we think of Pharisees they're following the laws that they wrote you know that's a little easier I like donuts on Tuesdays. Okay, you know, we get to pick. But they weren't even writing the laws. The scribes wrote the regulations, but the Pharisees were dedicated uh, their whole lives to keeping them. In fact, the name Pharisee means the separated one because they had separated their lives 
uh, from the ordinary to keep every single law. And the details were very much down to the smallest things. I, I was looking at a lot of examples as I was researching this part of the culture, and I thought this one was interesting. Um, if you tied a knot on the Sabbath, that was technically working. So you couldn't tie a knot. Thank goodness that they just wore sandals in that day. So they didn't have to walk around with their sneakers untied all day. But you could not even tie a knot on Sunday, on the Sabbath, uh, or you were technically working. But it was interesting because even the details of the knot were defined. So if you were a camel driver and you were trying to uh, tie the knot uh, of the the luggage that you were carrying, you couldn't do that on the Sabbath or, or that would be breaking the law. Or if you were a sailor and you were wanting to go out to catch fish or to do something on the lake, you couldn't tie a knot or you'd be breaking the law. Uh, but a woman could tie up the slit in her girdle with a knot. That's not breaking the law. She could do that on the Sabbath. Um, or she could tie the straps of her sandals. That's not breaking the law. Those knots were allowed on the Sabbath. So if a man wanted to, you know, maybe put a bucket down a well to get some water because his family was thirsty, um, he couldn't use a rope, but he could use a woman's girdle because that was quite legal if he did that. And so that's what they would do is they would find all of these things that they could use so that they weren't breaking the law that were legal so that they could do the task that they needed to do. And these rules were the kind of thing uh, which the scribes and the Pharisees felt were a matter of life and death, that no ma- it, there, there was no um, mulligans. Whoops, oh, I went out and tied my knot. Better untie it before anyone sees it. They, they took it very seriously. It was a matter of life or death if they broke these rules. And that was religion to them. That was um, Nicodemus's way of feeling like he was pleasing and serving God. Is if he was tiptoeing around all of these rules that the scribes made, if he could just get it exactly right, then he felt that he was pleasing and serving God. And the scripture says that Nicodemus was a really good Pharisee. He, he was really good at obeying the rules flawlessly. And so it's really interesting that Nicodemus goes and seeks out Jesus. Because some theologians start to question, they start to say, well, why would Nicodemus even feel like he has to go see Jesus? Because if, if Nicodemus was a really good Pharisee, then he must have believed that he was, he was fine. He, 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 he was following all the rules. He certainly was pleasing God. Why did he even have a sense that he wanted to go see Jesus? Because rules equaled salvation, and he was very good at following the rules. And last Sunday, I read this psalm to you about how deep cries out to deep. Do you remember that? Just pretend you do. It makes me feel better if you remember what I said. And I believe that this is again an example that the spirit inside of Nicodemus, the deep inside of him, was just calling out to the deep inside of Jesus that even these rules were not fulfilling to him. That even though he, he had lived his life perfectly in line with all of these rules, that that was not the thing that was drawing him and that he wanted to go and see Jesus. And, and I love that Jesus 
wasn't just after wayward hearts. He wasn't just chasing down the Zacchaeuses and the Sauls and, and the eunuch that we talked about several weeks ago. But Jesus was also chasing hard after the religious heart. That Jesus was also so much wanting to interact and intersect with Nicodemus, whose heart was hard with religion. And I think in some ways a religious heart is even more lost than a wayward heart. In some ways, a religious heart is even more confused and more hardened than someone who says they they don't know or understand the ways of God. And Jesus has something fresh and new to offer our hearts. And And I think sometimes we want to hide behind the rules and the religion we impose on ourselves and others because it's measurable. When we can do things A plus B equals C, we're good. Yeah, my relationship with God is good. I went from a, from, you know, a C to a B plus. Now I'm working on the A. You know, we try to put it in a system so that we know we're improving. But Nicodemus knew there was something more. He knew that there was something more than just following the rules, than just doing what people said to do. And with Jesus, I believe that there is always more. And I prayed that at this very moment, when I said those words, that, that maybe your heart would just jump out of your chest a little bit at that statement. That Nicodemus knew that there was something more and that we can know today that with Jesus, there's always more. There's always more than the rules that are spoken. There's always more that there is to have. That with Jesus, we've never reached our limit in understanding him. We've never reached our limit in a grace with him. That there's always more and there's always more that he wants to give us. And so in verse 2, It says, if you noticed, that Nicodemus came to Jesus. When did he come to Jesus? Did you catch it? At night. He came at night. Well, this little phrase, you might skip over it if you're reading it quickly, but I want to stop there for a minute because I think it's pretty important to the text. And let me tell you why. Um, There's differing opinions about this. Some say that Nicodemus may have come to Jesus at night because he didn't want anyone to know. Because he was such a religious person, people might begin to question, well, why does he need to go see Jesus? And so he was hiding. He went when he, when he knew that no other of his, of his pharisaical friends uh, were going to see him. They wouldn't think any less of him. He was going to go at night so that he would be completely anonymous. Another thought process about Nicodemus going at night is because it was the best time to get to Jesus undisturbed. If you remember, you know, Jesus had crowds of people around him all the time. He was constantly uh, crowded by people. Remember, Zacchaeus had to go up the tree just to get noticed. And so Nicodemus might have thought, you know what? I'm going to go when Jesus is not surrounded by crowds of people. I'm going to go wake him out of his sleep. I don't know. Maybe Nicodemus thought that was a good idea. I'm going to go at night. And I want absolute, private, and completely undisturbed time with Jesus. Now, we don't know for sure if Nicodemus was scared or strategic, (laughs) but he was one or the other. But what I think is so beautiful is there is something we know. We know how Jesus responded to him. So whether Nicodemus was afraid or whether he was just having strategy, we know that Jesus stopped whatever he was doing and he spoke to Nicodemus exactly about the questions that he had. And I think these two simple words, at night, reminds us more about Jesus than it does about Nicodemus, that there is no hour that Jesus is unwilling to attend to our need. 
that there is no moment that Jesus is too busy to hear your questions, that, that there is no time that he sleeps or slumbers. In fact, Psalm 121.4 says, Indeed, he, God, who watches over Israel, never sleeps and never slumbers. That he is always attentive to us. That he just wants us to, to turn ourselves to him and say, God, but what about this? Well, how about this? I have questions about this. God, show me what you're thinking. And he is always ready to answer us, no matter really our motive, whether we're scared or strategic that God answers us in those moments. And so let's keep reading uh, in John 3 and verse, the rest of verse 2 there. Nicodemus begins to talk to Jesus, and he says this, uh, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Verse 4, how can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now we know that Nicodemus was no slouch. He was a very intelligent man. That's how he became in the Jewish council. He was, you know, way up in the ranks of Pharisees. Um, but I think he may have needed like another health class in high school or something. <laughs> because Jesus, you know, yeah, right, Nicodemus, I don't, I don't mean climbing back into the womb as a grown person. Gross. Like, no, that's not what I mean. Um, Jesus was just so patient with Nicodemus. He was so patient with him. And what I thought was so interesting when I read that is, you know, Nicodemus was such a smart guy, and yet he says the obvious to Jesus. What do you mean they have to get back in their, their mom's womb? And Jesus is just so patient with him and just looks at him and, and says, let me explain this to you. And what I thought was interesting is there's actually a lot of examples in the scripture where Christ's words are taken very literally, um, specifically in the Gospels. So in John 2, Jesus says, um, destroy the temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And if you remember the Jews reply, uh, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But Jesus wasn't talking about the actual temple. Jesus was talking about uh, his body. Not the physical temple. He was talking about his body. He was going to be raised to life in three days. Um, in chapter 4, it happens with, with water. Jesus was speaking about living water. He's offering uh, a drink to the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman thinks that it's physical water to drink. But he really means, no, no, I'm talking about living water. The thing that comes inside of you that, that you can't define. And what happens is Jesus is speaking on the spiritual level and these people are taking him on a literal level. Jesus is telling Nicodemus about being born again, and he is taking it literally. He is literally imagining someone being born again. He is not taking it spiritually. And actually, in that moment, Nicodemus is showing how religious he really is. Do you see that? How religious of a spirit that he is because he can't even hear what Christ is saying spiritually. He's only hearing it literally. And so we can see and we can hear God working and speaking, but unless God opens up our mind and our heart, we'll never understand it. Because as you know, the rules of religion aren't going to get us closer to Jesus. It's our relationship with him. That's why it's so important with, with Jesus to be intimately tuned into him because religion takes things very literally 
whereas a relationship can grasp what God really means. Religion here is temple and immediately thinks of a physical building. Having a relationship with Jesus here is temple and they can see it in a whole different way. It, it can give you a whole new perspective. Religion hears the word born again and physically thinks you have to climb back into your mother. Relationship with Jesus sees this as an entirely different experience and can understand it on a level that you could never explain literally. And I believe that as people of God, we need to pray for that, this lens of religion to fall down and shatter before us. We need to, to pray and ask Jesus to show us how he sees things, how he sees people, and, and what he means by the things that he chooses to do. Because if we look at it simply from the literal religious sense, we'll never understand what God is doing. It made all the difference for Nicodemus, and it will drastically change our intake of what Christ is trying to communicate us when we begin to, to get rid of that religious lens that we often find ourselves peering through. And so that word born again um, actually is somewhat of a catchphrase um, to modern Christianity in the last uh, several hundred years. But what it actually means in the original language is it's a little bit closer translated to born afresh. So, so born, the, the word actually means born from the beginning, born afresh, that no one can see the kingdom of God unless a person starts a new life over from the beginning. In fact, I think it, it means that Jesus doesn't just make us better. Jesus makes us new. He makes us born again, born afresh. We don't just become like a better version of ourselves, a, you know, a 2.0 version. We become brand new. We become a different person. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.17 addresses this. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed. And behold, all things have become new. And, and we'll still be apt to sin. We'll still come short of the glory of God. It will still be a process and a journey and a change, but we'll trade our heart in for a new one. And, and the, the scribal law would say, work and work and work and do all of these things until you get better. Just keep getting better. Keep being perfect. But, but the, the, what Christ is saying is that you cannot resolve your alienation from God by doing those things. Religion is based on the, the works that stem from the flesh and they feed our pride. And that's why the Pharisees were so prideful because they knew they had done it all really, really well. They knew they had followed the rules very, uh, very systematically. And so they felt very proud of that. But what Christ is saying is, look, it actually has nothing to do with that. You just need to become a whole new person. You need to trade your heart in. What you used to have, nothing about it works very well. And you need to get a new one. In fact, John Calvin said, uh, he's a, a the theologian, he said, um, the call to be born again reveals that there is nothing in us that is not defective. Your whole self is broken. No part of it is good. And Jesus is saying, you don't need a makeover. You need a completely new face. <laughs> you, you, you need a complete new birth, and you get to start all over again. And in that is this hope and this newness that Nicodemus just couldn't figure out what he meant. But he said, you must be born again. You must be born afresh. You must start over. 
You don't just cover up the things that you're dealing with or, or, or make, you know, make it all look a little prettier. You, you take your heart of stone and your heart of brokenness and you trade it in for a heart that's alive and beating and, and something that's changed. And I love verse 5. Jesus answers, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And so what he means by that is uh, he's saying water and the Spirit, those are the two things that do it. And water is the symbol of, of cleansing. It's, it's the symbol of when Jesus takes possession of our lives and we love him and we repent of our sin and, and, and Jesus gives us a new heart that the sins of our past are forgotten, they're forgiven. The water makes us clean and new again. And then the Spirit is the symbol of power. Is that when Jesus takes possession of our lives, it's not only that our past is forgotten and forgiven, but we get a new power that enables us that of what we can be. We could never be on our own. This new power is the thing that, that enables us to, to actually become the person that God designed us to be. And so it's water and spirit. It's, it's cleansing and power. It's what goes together to, to make our hearts new and to make us afresh and, and to change who we are. And when Jesus says, um, you shouldn't be surprised at me saying this. You heard him say that? Well, he said that because this is actually a promise that was in the Old Testament. And he knew that Nicodemus would know the Old Testament. I mean, Nicodemus knew the scriptures inside and out. That was part of being a Pharisee. So, so he said, you shouldn't be surprised that I'm saying this because in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel, this is what it said. And Nicodemus would have known this by heart. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your, all your idols. And moreover, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Do you see the water in there and the spirit? It's the cleansing and the power. This thing that Jesus is telling Nicodemus is not new. This isn't a new concept. It was in the scripture, but Nicodemus knew it as a rule. He saw it through a religious lens. He didn't see it through a relationship with Christ because he didn't have one yet. And so Christ is saying, you know, as you're looking at this, this has to sound familiar Nicodemus knew that the Old Testament, inside and out, it, it, did this sound familiar, born afresh, born anew, just like Ezekiel. And Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus right on his level. And then just after this dialogue occurs, um, John, who's the author who has recorded this, uh, continues, and he says these very well-known verses. If you've ever watched a football game, you should know them. <laughs> I want to read them out loud together, okay? So here, they're going to be on the screen. Let's read these together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You know, the band is going to come back up. And these verses that we just read, as they get ready, let me tell you about them. They are the guts of the gospel. The reason why people hold those up on, 
football games or wherever you've seen them, they write them on the back of trucks and all kinds of crazy places, is because that is the guts of the gospel. I love that right after Nicodemus and Jesus have that conversation, John, who's, who's writing it down, he gets it. He has this moment of, let me sum this up. Let, let me sum this all up for you because Jesus came to tell us this. And if you don't understand anything else about soft hearts and born again and, and Ezekiel and all of those things I just said, if you don't understand anything else, let me sum it up for you. Jesus tells Nicodemus that the key to receiving salvation is as simple as believing. And religion tries to make it difficult for men to be made right with God. Re religion says there's rules, there's steps, tie a knot in the girdle, not in the camel rope. Why wouldn't you know that, you know? Religion makes you feel stupid. Religion makes you feel shameful and, and guilty. And just when you think you've arrived, you, you always find something that you forgot. Religion makes it impossible for men to be saved. But Jesus, on the other hand, spent all of his years in ministry trying to explain to people that I have made it so simple, so simple that little children and, and old people and people with limited intelligence and people who can't add or subtract and people who can't even write their own name, that they are saved by the grace of God. God made it so simple and he took down every barrier and all he asks is a sinner to come and believe him. So we're going to sing this song in a minute, but I want to bring you to John 19, where later we see that Nicodemus is the one who comes and takes Jesus off the cross and wraps his body up and lays him in the tomb. And we see a guy that first approaches Jesus at night because he doesn't want anyone to know he's coming. And now he's the one who says, oh no, give me Jesus, because now I understand what he did for me. He says, I'm done being religious. I'm done following these rules. I'm not allowed to touch dead things. That's against the Pharisee rules. But I know that this very body that, that Jesus Christ died on this cross for me, and I'm different. I'm new all over again. I'm born again, finally. My heart is fresh and new, and, and I'm not so worried about what other people are thinking about me, but I have shown signs of new life in my heart. And so today, would you just stand up? How I wanted to end this series and how I wanted to end this service is for us to sing this last song and have this moment of saying, God, we don't just wanna be better, we wanna be new. Like we're tired of living in this way where we feel shameful and guilty and boxed in and like we'll never live up to what you're asking us. And God, we wanna be born again and born afresh and understand, Lord, that you have done everything, you have done all the work and there is no barrier between us and you. And so I asked some, some of the elders and some of the staff to come down and they have some anointing oil. And there's nothing magic or crazy about this oil. It's just a little we put on your head and, and it sets you apart. But not in a Pharisee way, not in a way that makes you more holy than other people, but in a way that says, you know what, God, I'm born again, I'm done living religiously. That sin was strong, but God, you're stronger. That we don't want the religiousness, we want the religious lens to fall off. And we want to reject religion and stand before you and say, God, change our hearts from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh.
So maybe you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. I want to invite you down to get prayed for and get anointed. Maybe you're here and you've been just feeling like you've been trying to live up to some religious rules. And I want you to come down and leave that right here and get anointed. And maybe you're here and you just want to say on behalf of my family, on behalf of my life, on behalf of this church, we don't want to be religious. We want to be have the lens of what Jesus wants us to be. So uh, come on up if you're going to anoint people. Just maybe stand on the edge. I'm going to pray and then we can start this song. Jesus, I thank you so much that you haven't come just to make us better, that you have come to make us new. We pray that we could be just like Nicodemus, who changed his whole tune when he had a few moments with you. God, every story we've read this past month, they have an encounter with you and everything is different about their lives. And so God, we pray this morning that we could just wait until we hear from you. And God, we know that you will change us, that you will meet us right where we are. God, we trust you and it's in your name we pray, amen. Would you come, just come pray and worship and get anointed. Don't be shy. This one's for everybody. Come on down and just get anointed in prayer. Let's worship together and declare that we're born again.
Jesus. We know that it is impossible to experience the actual truth of the cross and stay the same. And so we pray today, Lord, that we could become like Nicodemus, truly changed and truly new, that our hearts would show the signs of new life, God, that, that our, our desire for the things of God, that our thankfulness for your mercy, our hunger for your word, Lord, that we would trade our old hearts out for new ones. God, we so desperately don't want to be the same. And so often we pray for our circumstances to change, but today, God, we pray for us to change. God, we come to you not to, to change our financial situation or to relieve us from a conflict or to, to heal or change someone else, but God, we just come to you today and we pray that you would change us, that you would turn our hearts that are hard to hearts that are soft to you. God, we pray we could be born again, born afresh, that we could understand and see what you're saying, not literally all the time, God, but through a lens of relationship with you. God, we love you and we trust you and we thank you for doing what you're doing in this church. God, but we don't wanna stay right here. We wanna keep changing. We wanna be different. God, I pray that that longing to be different would go from here through this whole week. God, that we can't stop thinking about it. Lord, we know that sin and shame are strong, but God, we declare that you're stronger. And we rest in that promise. And it's in your name we pray, amen.